because, because I'm a hot girl. Because I'm a hot girl. Because I'm a hot girl. and Louisa, what's going on? Good. Good. Thank you for having us. So cool. It's so nice to like finally chat with you both because I I know Jake. He's crashed on my couch here in Atlanta. Okay. Um, Met a very cool cat. Oh, my cat. Yeah, Yeah, she's in my closet right now, but maybe she'll come out later. But yeah, so I know Jake and then um, I started, you know, I listened to Pod Damn America and I try to support him when I see his posts coming up on Twitter and stuff. And then I started listening to Why You Mad Pod and was introduced to Louisa and I was like, oh my God, what a gift. I love you. I love your pod. I love you both Thank together. You. I think you offer some very interesting analysis that I have not really heard anywhere else. And I just love that you have like an anthropological perspective on these things and Jake kind of has like a shit post comedian <laughs> analysis but you know insightful shit post mm, comedian. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah like how did the pod come together i think me and louisa have known each other for a while um like when i was a comic in austin i remember i met her because she came through she was already on this anthropologist thing where she's treating comedians as a uh you know what a group of people that you can apply that to which is interesting and and then when i moved to new york I guess really what happened is that I knew you and I liked you. And so I asked you, Louisa, who I'm talking to, uh, to yeah. <laughs> to come on the show that I had started, Pod Damn America, that just kind of had turned into a project that was starting to take off and stuff. Because yeah. I wanted to hear your because uh, because, you know, with podcasting as a comic, it's like, I don't know, sometimes you'll do an episode about some really deeply researched thing you do. But a lot of times you do what comedians kind of classically do, which is like have a big round table discussion about the fucking (laughs) thing of the week. And the news of the week is so often like, Oh, a comedian said this. And then this other person said this. And then there's like, you know, some controversy. So I think like one of the first episodes we did was when everyone was arguing about Nanette (laughs) and, uh, yeah well you know even before getting to the pod part of it because so i never i had done like a handful of podcasts you know as a guest um but it was like nothing big i've never wanted to be a friend of the mic person i've never done an open mic i've never wanted to be a stand-up you know like none of it is for me but jake is a person that at a hang after a show And maybe, you know, we're drunk. (laughs) We have these great conversations where, you know, sometimes we did agree on things. Sometimes we disagreed vehemently. (laughs) Um, But it was like great to be in the back of a bar being like having a conversation with a comic who was like critical of his own art and space and peers and was willing to have these conversations with me. And then add to that that he was like, because of Pod Dame, I guess, or in conjunction with Poddam, he started um, reading a lot of things that I read through like a, a grad school structured way a long time ago, you know, and to be honest with you, surrounded mm-hmm. by rich white people. <laughs> so it was like a it's a very different experience to then mm-hmm. have these conversations yeah. about these texts that he is currently engaging with that I get to like think about in a different context because we can have these like regular conversations. So when he invited me to talk about Nanette to me, it was just like, yeah, of course I'll go talk with you about whatever the fuck. Cause we have great conversations. Yeah. It turned into a spinoff from there. And I think the reason that it developed so organically is because in my mind, why you mad has two 
huge premises based on duality, right? So one of them is that Luis's industry and I'm a comic, so we're on two sides, two opposite sides of that, and yet we have like similar analysis that we apply to stuff, but like from a slightly slightly different perspective. So whenever we talk about stand-up, when we use it as a jumping off point to get into politics and philosophy and stuff, it's cool to have somebody who does the thing and then have somebody who's like behind the scenes and like organizes the thing and books the thing and stuff like that, kind of talking about it. And the other thing is, which Luisa kind of just touched on, is that like <laughs> thing is kind of funny about this. And this probably has to do with also me being a comedian or whatever, is that uh, like Luce was saying, is that she read all this theory and shit when she was younger and then she started partying like recently. And <laughs> I did. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I started drinking at 29. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Like, like ever. I mean, I got drunk once in high school and I thought it was really, really bad. I got in a lot of trouble. Like my mom had to come get me and shit like that, you know. <laughs> so I was like, oh, drinking is terrible. Why do people do this? <laughs> and then I just didn't do it. But I did a lot of acid and we don't worry. I was I was oh, I was good, fun. Important. <laughs> important. Important. See, that's like burying the lead there because yeah. that's a weird <laughs> entry point. Like, no, but acid can be like a smart drug. Like you reflect on things with it. You do it when you're in college and stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, like I understand. I understand that I I do a lot of acid myself, not because I'm yeah. very smart, but I I try to be <laughs> I try to know know things and know myself or whatever. But well, it's, it's just like interesting because it is a very intense drug. It's not mm-hmm. like uh, at least all the people I know that use it like recreationally. It's still a, like a once every couple of months, maybe kind of drug. Yeah, that's why I find it really interesting. Mm. It's not one of those no, things. No, like, I yeah. every weekend. I would go to school on it. I took my SATs on acid. Um, oh, goddamn. Yeah, like... So, wait, were you, like, microdosing on No, like, I had never heard of that you... until, like, five years ago. No, it was, like, gel tabs wow. and, and multiple uh, paper hits. Yeah, and goddamn. liquid sometimes, goddamn. sugar cubes. You know, I'm old, man. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, really... It, yeah, that's the, that's the old Yeah, way. and I'm so old that, to put it to you this way, and I grew up in Miami, so everybody drank. And since I didn't drink, I was the designated driver, but I was literally always tripping. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, she's fine. She'll take care of it. Children do not be like me. But it was great. It was uh, mind expanding at a time when I think, you know, I don't want to say young people should do it, but I did it and I enjoyed it. But it did mean that I didn't understand like the partying lifestyle that a lot of you went through. Yeah, like just getting drunk together and throwing up places and having sex and shit like that. <laughs> I didn't do that until I was like 29, 30. So that's yeah. that's why I was saying there's like a duality to this because like yeah. you had the experience in that order and I'm a mm-hmm. comic. And so I've been doing comedy since I was like, 19 or something like that yeah getting drunk and puking (laughs) i have been getting drunk and puking for 10 years and then recently decided like to take an active role in trying to fucking essentially exercising and shit yeah wow (laughs) look at you but like also with doing pda and with also just making enough money now to like not have to fucking work as much as i used to and stuff because like in my 20s i did nothing but work and do comedy and that's like yeah there's not enough time to have like this enriching like experience like you would have in something like college. Cause I, I started reading stuff in college. I just stopped when I started doing the fucking stand-up grind. So I'm having this weird mm-hmm. renaissance in it right now. And so you can see this like weird yin yang thing where we're like, we both did exactly the same shit in a different order. And so yeah. 
Whereas Jake, you and I did the same shit in the exactly that order. Like I dropped out of high school in junior year because I was partying too much. And then I moved to the States, to Florida, where all the good drugs are. Yeah. And started doing comedy and had that double whammy of just like fucking up my life and relationships for like, you know, nine years or whatever. And now I'm like 32 and I'm like, I'm over it. I'm like meditating. I'm like trying to enrich my spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm still probably like smoking too much weed and drinking too much but i'm yeah. like intentionally trying to like do shit now taper you know? it off a little yeah oh, taper yeah. it off and also just be more just like in the in the moment with it as yeah. opposed to like just slamming shot like you know i don't really slam yeah. shots or anything like that but like i definitely like slowed way down on drinking i exercise more i meditate on the on this level like as a performer jake have you like gone through steps to like kind of improve yourself in any way and Louisa is a producer like how are you dealing with that I'm like uh, well, actually if I could riff on that question a little bit I want to ask the opposite question to Louisa like how'd you get into comedy and how'd you get it like how did you go down this path I mean they're definitely connected um and it's connected to to Jake's astute observation of our reverse yeah. life path um because it I liked comedy since I was like 10 years old when I moved to America, basically, because it was like such a strange mm-hmm. thing that didn't exist where I came from, <laughs> you know, like I to see it. So in Miami, you remember if you didn't have cable that the TV would like end yeah. at midnight or whatever, and then it would just be like yeah. infomercials mm-hmm. and then whatever. And then at the end, it would be the the anthem <laughs> or whatever the fuck and then like fuzzy stuff. Right. And then um, they would play stand up specials. And so I would just like be this 10 year old stay, staying up all night listening to like Paula oh, Poundstone like just like Poundstone. weird the first time I'm hearing like lesbians mm-hmm. talk about their life and black people about their experience and like oh there's no instrument there's no band you know it's just this person standing on stage and it was fascinating to me and I loved it and I followed it but I guess I followed it in this academic like academic way because I'm a fan but I'm not like a fangirl I don't know how to say I I like the craft not necessarily the artist (laughs) um and (laughs) I never wanted to make a living in it I never wanted to work in it and I just came to New York for graduate school and once I was here I was like holy shit this is where they all are (laughs) it's like I have to go see them so I just started to go to shows a lot especially once I finished grad school I dropped out of my PhD so I just had like a one full-time job for the first time in like 12 years. I didn't mm-hmm. have multiple responsibilities and all of this shit. And I just had free time after work. And I was like, Fuck, okay, well, I'm just going to go to a comedy club. <laughs> and I started going a lot. And then comics there noticed that I was like weird. And I was always there. <laughs> and so they, they told <laughs> me about all you didn't want to do it. Shows. So you're like a unicorn. Right. Like- so exactly. And I was also like not hooking up with any of the comics and like going up and hitting on them or anything like that. You know, like I would just go watch the show and and leave quietly you know like not bother anybody and um you know and I who is she yeah it's so weird it's like <laughs> this one comic came up to me one day after a show at this club that doesn't exist anymore CB's um he came up to me and he was like hey psst. like hey I just want to tell you like I feel like I see you everywhere but we're you don't know that we're doing all the same material when we work at the clubs it seems like you would enjoy going to these smaller shows where you'll get to see us work out and do new jokes and I was like blown away I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so he was the one who told, it was Louis Katz. I don't know if you're familiar. And he like mm-hmm. was the one that told me about shows around New York City that were smaller. And that's what led me to festivals and Twitter. And then once I was like going to bar shows, I literally was just like, so by this time, none of my friends, my boyfriend at the time, don't want to go with me. Like they're already like, we just did this last week. <laughs> you know, we're not going to go see stand up again. And I'd be like, yeah, well, OK, I'll go by myself. 
But then I realized like everybody's drunk and everybody's drinking. I should probably just like buy a drink <laughs> so oh, that I just like look normal here standing around. So it's very like anthropologist hiding <laughs> in the bush. Like, let me see. How do I, I like pretend that I belong here? And then I just started drinking and I had probably like six bad months where I like lost my debit card, puked in a cab, had sex with a stranger. But I genuinely feel like I am better at drinking than almost everyone I know because I started so late. Because I was like a full adult, mm. you know, there was no like rebellion to it. It was very like, right. oh man, I don't want to lose my debit card. I'm not going to do this again. <laughs> you know, so like I would learn. Yeah, you were about- doing it to fit in the social mores already yeah. and not to like exercise any sort of yeah. like weird compulsion, not weird, but like compulsion to kind of act out. Yeah, no, and it just seemed like um, once I saw there were consequences and I didn't like them, I adjusted. Like, I had to learn about, like, eat dinner before you <laughs> go get drunk. <laughs> like, stupid shit that, like, all of you who have been doing it for 10 years know or 12 years, whatever. So it was connected, and I started to drink, and I started to just be around and be a fun hang, <laughs> you know? Like, people liked being around me. But they also saw that, like, when I'm at shows, I am at the show. I don't hang out outside. I watch everyone yeah so i don't know i think i find this fascinating because it, like i didn't even think about the duality that you're talking about jake before you mentioned that but it's true like i i find your podcast really really interesting because you do disagree with each other a lot and i i don't think i've ever seen that really maintained in like a comedy like relationship mm-hmm. where two people can be like at odds with each other over stuff and then not just be like okay well like I think you know I think this podcast is done or I think this project is done like what do you think like it is about you and Jake's dynamic that you know gives it some like longevity man I think honestly it's those bar conversations which go back to the fact that like when Jake and I met, I wasn't a producer or a booker. I didn't do anything in comedy. I was just the this weird girl that went to festivals all over the country, <laughs> like on, on my vacation <laughs> from work, from my very serious job at the 9-11 Museum. I would go for a week to some random comedy festival and I would meet the comics there. And I wasn't I didn't work in any way in comedy. So I think that he is a comic like it's been very hard for me because there's a bunch of comics who have come up in the recent years who see me as industry 100%, right? Like, when they came in, I already did stuff, and they think I have power and and whatever, right? But Jake met me as, like, a weird loser (laughs) that goes to fucking (laughs) comedy festivals by herself. And so when... And yet, when we had conversations he always treated me like not like some stupid fangirl, but like he respected my opinion. And so I think from the beginning, it hasn't been about agreeing. It has been about just like kind of like being like equals and not seeing like I don't need anything from you. You don't you know, there's not this need based relationship between us. There is a I won't want to hear your opinion relationship. Yeah, I mean, I I think that we don't see each other in a very transactional way in a field where people do. And part of that is because we knew each other before all this, uh, or at least before you were a booker. But honestly, like, I also talk to other bookers this way. It's just that they don't have the same perspective either. So, like, I also I think our show works because we kind of mostly are on the same page. And then the differences are not, like, antagonistic. They're kind of interesting just because it's for perspective stuff or whatever. But, like, part of the reason that I talked to you that way to begin with is because honestly, what happened with me is that, you know, I think for the grace of God, I am kind of a socialist because like I had (laughs) some theory and shit put into my head when I was in high school. I went to like, um, what do you call it? A magnet school or I got to learn some Mm -hmm. interesting shit. And then I got really into certain stuff when I was in college. 
And then I dropped out because because of economic crisis and shit and like, um, you know, yeah. felt all the 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 grind and everything and kind of spun out and then got into comedy and used comedy mm-hmm. in that way that people use it to try to understand the world and like as this like philosophy thing or whatever. And it was I spent a lot of time hanging out with like people that were really into like libertarian shit, but they were comedians and stuff <laughs> and really trying to understand where they were coming from and stuff. And honestly, Damn. you know. I think about this timeline sometimes. I'm like, there's an alternate me out there somewhere who's just a fucking edgelord dickhead because I really like I understand those people. And I was kind of involved in that world for a long time and was in like, you know, opening for like stand up yeah. and stuff like that and hanging out with those people and trying to to assimilate into that world. But what happened is because I think because I had the fucking I read the shit in college when I was growing up and stuff. And I just also I'm like Mexican. So this is st- stuff doesn't gang, stick to gang. you harder if you're not like a fucking white, white like a mm-hmm. white guy. You know what I mean? Like someone who's like, like, yeah. uh, uh, what do you call it? Like you're always ladies. aware that you're not in group. Yeah. 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 And so it's the 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 right wing radicalization that I think took over a lot of people in the fucking scene that I was in sticks harder if you're white, because it's all based on you. Like, you know, why is everyone trying to get you for being white and all this stuff? Right. And so there's. Yeah. Subtle, subtle things like that caused me to eventually feel the pressure and the anxiety that those guys are feeling that causes them to go that way. But I think instead I went the other way because I was like, I know, honestly, I can tell that the lies that right wing radicalized people tell themselves Mm -hmm. about the world and all that shit that cracked open in like 2016 and stuff like that around that era I knew that stuff wasn't true and I knew that it was libidinal and that it was emotional and it was mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. appealing to guys anger without really having a solid explanation to it. And it's you can go down that road though because it feels good. But I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I actually want to sit down and read everything and try to figure out what is actually going on. A, because it's, you know, the truth is probably more interesting. But B, because I thought it would make you a better comedian. Because yeah. I just noticed like everyone was kind of going around doing this like Kurt Metzger race wars stuff and just going yeah. like, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> white men are the new you know victims or yeah. whatever. And, and so from that's how I landed at being like a leftist uh, and kind of uh, really, really honestly like being thankful that i'm like oh i found this lens that actually i think Mm -hmm. reveals the truth when everyone else is sort of like chasing something else that's less truthful and that's why i think when i met louisa like i was at a place where this was causing me having done comedy for like 10 plus years to start to not feel like there were sacred cows within the world of comedy like i do not feel i don't feel the 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 pressure to um to go along to get along and yeah. to uh you know to just all these things where you're, you're never supposed to throw a comedian under the bus you know so you're never supposed to criticize other comedians i noticed especially because i was reading all the theory and stuff i was like well this is all coming from capitalism and yeah these are yeah. all lies that we tell ourselves because we're just trying to get ahead and make money and it's very individualistic and stuff so i became somebody who uh just proudly had a day job and i i've loved being a new york comic somebody at, at a level where people were like trying to do this as a career and just going, Mm -hmm. I get paid to deliver pizzas. So I will tell you exactly what you're bullshitting about right now, because I don't care (laughs) if you don't book me. And so that's why me and Louise, I think had a lot of these back of the room conversations because she also was like that. Yeah. I was actually about to say it's, we had pretty much the same trajectory, except I'm not a performer because I literally, Mm -hmm. you know, people, it's like corny to say now, you know, to think of comedians as philosophers and whatever the fuck. 
But honestly, I literally did. Yeah. That's where I came from. I, you know, as an artist, when I first went to school, I, I like thought of myself as a visual artist, a sculptor. And then I got lost in theory. I just tapped into like for a particular visual project, I tapped into like symbolism and like the shit about like where mm -hmm. do ideas and narratives come from. And that was the end Fair. for me. I just became obsessed with understanding humans right and it led me down this path where I'm like now two hundred thousand dollars in debt I live in New York like my whole life is based on the fact that I chased this idea of trying to understand myself and my place in the world and humanity and why we're here and all this shit because I was an atheist I was already kind of a socialist and so I needed more information and more answers and so to me stand-ups were people who we're doing that same thing, but just not through the structure of school and academia. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I do still think that the best of them are, or the best of you guys are the ones that are examining that, their place in the world and the world and how it functions and how they work within everything with each other. And so what was weird is that in my trajectory, I came into it thinking like, I'm going to hang out with all these philosophers. Not even hang out. I'm just going to watch them. Like, I didn't want to like hang out. Like a modern day salon yeah. type thing? No, and I like, didn't know. Okay. But, like, remember that I was weird, and especially when I wasn't drinking yet, I would literally show up right when the show starts, and I would be the first one out the door, and I did not talk to people. Oh. So people just, like, saw me in the audience and were like, it's always that girl. But, like, I didn't stay to talk to them until way later, and I knew more people and all of that stuff. Yeah. But then, all of a sudden, once I knew people, and they became mm -hmm. part of my social world, where I met people like Jake and we were having these kinds of conversations and I thought we were having that salon kind of thing, right? Totally. Then becoming involved in the work of it and even before I became involved, hearing how comics talk about their relationship with doing comedy, with making money off of it, with the industry, hearing industry and the way that they talk about comics. Like when I worked for JFL, it's disgusting, dude. It's like they talk like you're not people. You know what I mean? It's about heat and credits and did who recommended him and who's representing him. And like, it's fucking terrible. All right. So, yeah, I was going to yeah. ask about that because, like, I'm not a comic. Mm -hmm. I'm just a nice guy on the Internet. Me too. That <laughs> knows. Yeah. And, uh. And and so like I don't really know like how um how the industry works and like what the like I'm hearing you say industry versus comics like yeah. tell me more about that because I have no idea. It's just that's exactly what I was gonna say is that I went from seeing them as like oh a class of philosophers let's say even though mm -hmm. I know it's haughty mm -hmm. and corny at this point, but I did cool. to going to seeing it as like capitalism and business people because this is how they're seeing it. They are measuring everything by how much money they're making, how many places they're passed at, like all this kind of stuff. And then similarly, this industry side of it, even worse, right? Because the comics, they're working within the framework of capitalism because they don't really have another option. Sure. Yeah. But industry are a whole set of people, in a lot of cases, failed performers, to be frank, <laughs> and who usually accidentally got into positions where they're gatekeepers you know like they didn't set out mm. to be talent scouts or fucking any of this or through having money like being a small business owner and buying a club and now yeah. you get to be a gatekeeper even though you don't know shit about comedy right those people are people who literally 
make they're like landlords their whole job is to make money yeah, I was say, off it sounds of like fight comics those. making money exactly so they're your manager and your agent nine out of ten times is not going to be the person that can make you help you make a joke better help you um develop mm-hmm. an hour help you figure out what venues you feel comfortable working with they are a person who's going to be like this will make you more money this will get more eyes on this i'll get a bigger cut of this so this is the decision you should make because their entire job, especially if they work for an agency, you know, or like a bigger structure is to hit a bottom line of money that they have to make off mm. of you, which means even including encouraging you to do things that you are not comfortable doing in terms of performing um, or material or bad advice, <laughs> you know, just like it's terrible. So in general, I just realize like I'm not like these people. I don't want any part yeah. of this. But I can't hold it against comics that they live in this framework. And so that's why, to me, it was interesting to talk to somebody like Jake, who was resisting that framework. You know what I mean? And he didn't take it as me attacking his decisions. Let's say if I said, like, you shouldn't work this kind of venue or something like that. Whereas there are a bunch of comics who read my tweets or hear things I say on the podcast and take it as like a personal dig at them. But it's like, no, I'm making a general statement about the ethics of our business and your responsibility as an artist. And if you see yourself in that, then great. I think that's something you need to think about and decide whether you're okay with that and live your life. But don't act like somebody's like attacking you (laughs) because they're being critical of the industry. Yeah, no, I I experienced this a lot, too, because one of the things that attracted me to Jake as a person is that he really does not mince words like he he really does call out bullshit when he Mm -hmm. sees it. And so do you. And I really appreciate that about you both, because I've definitely lost opportunities for like standing up to people bullying, like standing up to people gatekeeping and like publicly doing so, like calling out abusers publicly. That's a big no, no in comedy. If you're a female comic, Mm -hmm. like I've like I've like lost a lot of fucking opportunities being someone that's like outspoken about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's just like it's so refreshing to find other people that are kind of on that same wave because like I had a thing over quarantine where I was like I'm not trying to be a fucking famous comic I'm just not doing it anymore I'm not fucking doing it I'm gonna try to be as funny as I can I I love going and doing stand-up I probably always will but fuck this career comedian bullshit like I want to be able to say whatever the fuck I want to say and yeah. I feel like I feel like there's a new like breed of comic coming out or just mm-hmm. revealing themselves to be like over the fucking, you know, meat grinder of comedy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the bo- like the bottom kind of fell out of the comedy industry, which caused, I think, like, you know, to use fucking Marxism or whatever to uh, analyze this <laughs> heightened contradictions in what you're doing. <laughs> Absolutely. I love the terminology. Like, I'm like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, Luisa, I'm, I'm more like along your trajectory okay. of like academia. So Wonderful. like we, we fuck with that. I area. love it. I want to hear about it. Go finish, Jake. Well, what I'm saying is like, you know, maybe 10 or 20 years ago, like there were maybe this is kind of middle class of comedians who like could you could just kind of go along to get along and keep your head down and you'd be involved Mm -hmm. in it. You're just kind of in the general alt comedy scene and like you get a TV writing job and whatever. Right. But as the economy changed and like the internet changed everything and there's like, you know, more of a democratization of how the, the entertainment field works. There's not like, you know, 10, 
TV jobs everyone's competing for. There's just kind of this weird wild west where you make stuff on the internet and stuff. I think people like started to realize if you really want that star power shit, if you want to become like a fucking Tim Dillon psycho demagogue like <laughs> podcast person, you you have to sell your soul. Like you have to do things mm-hmm. that you know are wrong, or you have to convince yourself that they're not wrong. You have to go completely fucking crazy, which creates a situation <laughs> where there's no middle that you can just safely waffle in anymore. And so I mm-hmm. think it, it it what it did is it caused a lot of people to either quit or it caused people to do this kind of math that like occurred to me at one point when I was you know going through all this it was just that, like wait a minute okay so I have all these opinions but I stopped myself from saying them because I want to continue doing comedy and then I was like wait a minute what if I quit then I could just say all this shit so I was like I'm gonna pretend like I already quit and then I just started talking all this shit and saying <laughs> I don't care I'm not a comic you know you can't hurt me I remember that I remember that phase on Twitter where you just write back to people like I'm not a comic <laughs> but then it occurred to me I could keep living like that and I could start booking my own shows and I was like uh, wait yeah. a minute I am a comic yeah. <laughs> you can be a comic who doesn't live by the fucking like the uh, confines of what it's it's traditionally thought of to be yeah. a comic and so I just went full circle with it it was like oh okay yeah this this works and that's also why like when I got to that space I was like I actually feel good about myself like existing like this because yeah. you know you were talking about like how you lose like you you can kind of fuck up your career for standing up to these people mm-hmm. and we're like the job we're doing is kind of like being a bartender or being a hairdresser or being a sex worker or being these things yeah. where it's like uh unregulated diy sort of stuff and so for that reason there are a lot of assholes running around and there's no system in place to fucking to, to for anyone to stop people from abusing people and all sorts of shit or just Definitely. being a dick and so that for me that's great because i am an angry guy i am a guy who would have been a kurt metzger alt-right guy everyone's trying to attack me but the thing is when you have that anger when you have that like when you're precarious like that and you you need explanation there's two ways you can go with it one of them is bullshit which is that you know all these scapegoats are my problem which is what the alt-right guys do and then when you have marxism you know oh it's the power structure it's the it's power and then you become exactly as angry of a guy as those old right guys yeah. but you at the but right it is target the old, yeah it's the ultimate punching up yeah mm-hmm. exactly yeah. yeah where we have a righteous anger about us which yes. i think makes yeah. us funnier like people with righteous anger are just funnier people always say that that's what they think a comedian does but then yeah. like they hate it when they actually see it happening in real time because yeah. usually those people yeah. have a little bit of an investment in the power you know yeah. so they're like no, 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 no. Don't attack that, you know, thing. That's mine. Yeah, like their relationship to the power structure is uh, more intimate. It's dependent. It's a dependent. Yeah. The um, metaphor, I guess, that I would use, allegory? I don't know. Um, <laughs> is, because um, as Jake was talking, is what I think of is like going to the gym, right? Everybody goes to the gym with different goals, right? Yeah. And I think that there is like a whole set of comedians who go to the gym with the purpose of like, bulking up the muscles to win the awards at competitions for muscles. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So these muscles are not necessarily healthy or useful. You Mm -hmm. got to them through shortcuts probably because you have a deadline to hit because you need to win a contest so that you can say you have these medals so that you can go on and do other things like have sponsorships, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. There is a bunch of people in comedy who I think either aware or would be happier if they realize that you want to go to the gym 
to be healthy. Yeah. Right. So you want to go to the you want to go to the gym to work out the right muscle groups to be able to do the things that you enjoy in life to be stronger. Exactly. To be a more fine tuned machine in the things that you do in your life. That goal has nothing to do with external validation. And I think that's the difference. And it, you know, Jake and I have talked about in the past that like when you point out to someone that what that they're doing something for external validation and mm-hmm. you are doing it for your own internal measurement of what is good and right to you, they take that as you are saying we are better than you. Yeah. Right? It's it sounds like a very like well, you're not even understanding the circumstances of why mm-hmm. I have to mm-hmm. like win this contest or my children won't eat. <laughs> you know, like they're deflecting their weird like guilt yeah. that they have internally, like that they've internalized, but right. they're just like they don't want to turn that inward and just examine that and just be like, yeah, I, I am doing this for money. Which, if anything, for- to speak like, for Jake, the I think that's our only goal when we talk about these things is think about it. <laughs> so I can like examine it. That begs the question for me, um, like. So, Jake, you had this whole like Nietzsche, thus spoke Zarathustra moment of like like actualization. Right. And and and, you know, uh, but then conversely, Luisa says that, you know, when you when you kind of push on these these preconceived notions on how to approach comedy, like people kind of freak out. So I'm wondering, like, given this current climate, we're coming out of, um, you know, pandemic like Luisa, I think you you had a show recently. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday. So, OK. A couple things. One, I definitely want to talk about that. I definitely want to ask you about that. But also, like, I want to know, like, what is the, like, what is the general feeling? Are you, are you seeing, like, a new resurgence? Are you seeing, like, a restructuring? Are you seeing things starting to shift and change? And, like, what does that look like? No. Um, Damn. I, no. Damn. <laughs> no. I am actually seeing, like, uh, I think Jake and I discussed it, like, mid-pandemic. I am seeing that I think I was right in my prediction that, um, you know, a lot of businesses all around the country are still operating at, like, limited capacity. Yeah. So it means that... And a lot of businesses closed, like former venues. So that means there is actually quite literally less stage time than there was one and a half years ago. All right. Like literally it's a musical games, a musical chairs game and there are less chairs. And the businesses that are trying to survive post pandemic, quote unquote, we, we all know we're not post, but you get it. Um, they need to maximize their sales. So if I'm only selling 50 percent of tickets, I need to make sure that I'm selling all 50 percent of tickets. They mm-hmm. also have been closed for time. So they have to um, regenerate their or like re-nourish their relationships with performers that they haven't been um, booking. So to me, I predict and I'm seeing at least like one to three years of like entrenchment of the old school, because it's going to be very much about like the businesses and the comics feel like they have to survive. So it will be a lot of like hit up your old networks kind of a situation, which to Jake's point and what he found and discovered in his own trajectory, not to use that word again, is that the alt is more important than ever. You know, like I think because one of the things on the show that we talk about is like, I was really happy not doing shows. (laughs) And, and so I was like really thinking of not ever coming back, but I did come back because I feel a responsibility of like there, at least let's say in my city in New York, I, I am positioned in a way that I can contribute to creating more of those chairs for this musical chair game that I know are not going to go to these traditional like white guys yelling about poor them or, you know, like 
alt-right dudes or whatever the fuck right Mm -hmm. so i am carefully trying to balance my life so that i'm like doing enough that i feel like i am helping and that i'm helping grow the alt scene here and i'm gonna do um instead of running shows i am going to support all the shows that i know that comics are running and independent bookers are running frankly like i'm not really interested in going to any of the clubs in new york city anymore you know like i like the food at the cellar so i would probably hang out there (laughs) um that kind of stuff but i'm like i know the comics that you book and i know the material that they're doing in your building it's not what i want to see it's what they were doing two years ago trust me they don't take a they don't take a risk in your buildings clubs so i much rather be out here supporting everyone who is trying to create these spaces that will give other types of performers an opportunity to do what they do because eventually once like more clubs open and more chairs become available they are going to look to the alt scene to pick up whoever they need to fill up their shit because that's the way it always works so more than ever i think you either like if you ever wanted to start your own show you should start your own show if you are interested in comedy you should go find out about these little shows and have your aha moment like i did when i found out that they were like out here hanging out the comedians were just like out here getting drunk (laughs) and i was like i can go watch them do comedy and then get drunk and have a weird conversation about nietzsche in the back (laughs) this is great why wouldn't you want to be a part of this so support your support your all scene i guess is what i'm saying awesome awesome Yeah, I have not been part of the scene at all since quarantine. Like I I completely just stepped out of it. I started just doing like the podcast thing because I was like, I need some yeah. kind of creative outlet. I need something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to stay sharp. But I haven't I'm doing my first stand up show in June. And I have like two shows booked next month. I wasn't even looking for shows. People were just asking yeah. me about them all of a sudden. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, I haven't written anything in over a year. I'm fucking so excited. I'm so excited to start over. Like, I'm so excited to do something new yeah. and to be a totally different performer. You know, like, I'm excited to, like, learn that part of myself all over again. Like, this break has been a blessing in disguise, I think, for a lot of people to, I like, agree. really examine why they're doing it in the first place. And, the, like, yeah. The gap year of the pandemic. So good. <laughs> if you are, if you have a healthy relationship with what you do, I think that you saw it probably as a fucking boon because like me, for example, I'm going to do comedy probably the rest of my life, which means that taking one year off actually to me is no big deal because there's a lot of shit that I like don't do because comedy comedy takes up so much time. So I read you gotta go all, live a life that's worthy of talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you 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 got a year where you were allowed to do all this other stuff that you don't do because comedy takes up too much time and it enriches you and it informs your material. And also you did not have the pressure of like taking a year off while everyone else is competing. It was the best thing theoretically that should have fucking happened to comedians. I read all this shit that I use for my fucking show now that I was not going to get through as fast, at least like during a uh, regular fucking comedy time or whatever. So to me, that's fucking great. But you notice people that really freaked out about it. The reasons they were freaking out about it. It's all, it's all capitalism. It's all, all the shit we talk about all the time. But it was not coming from a place of like, I need to perform for the yeah. art. And it was like, the people that were doing that were really fucking annoying. First of all, second <laughs> of all, it was like, you need to do this one very particular thing to be an artist. And it's like, mm-hmm. where is like, what, what is this excuse to like, not branch out and figure out other ways to be funny? It just seemed like laziness to me. Like, which like, no, de- I'm, 
you know, like as an anarchist, I, I do love the anti-work ethic, but also like when it comes from this like weird perspective of like it's pro-establishment. Exactly. Yeah, it's like exactly. it's not it's the opposite of anarchist because it's pro-establishment is their Definitely. problem. Yeah. And it's people that were doing it for reasons uh, like that are very superficial because people that are constantly like, I think, putting this thing up where they're they're like, oh, I have to quit if I don't make a certain amount of money or if it's yeah. not validated mm-hmm. by making a certain amount of money or my career doesn't get to a certain level. Yeah, that I think the pandemic caused a lot of people to freak out for that reason, because it was never about what it should be about. If you're really like a fucking creative it type, was never you know? about building those good muscles. Like, I'm, like, I'm going to be doing stand up as long as I can walk up on a stage, probably longer than that, because it's fun because I like doing it. I'm good at it. Yeah. And and it's like, mean, that's what I want to bring back from all this is like, I, yeah. I like it. I actually enjoy it. Case in point of what I'm saying, I went out and I watched stand up and I, you know, I had a pretty good time going to like the park shows and shit last year, but you would see people in this situation doing old material and you'd go, what the world is inside out right now? Why are you doing this? And I know as a comic, as a comic, I know why you do old material. It's because you want the fucking gratification and you want people to see you and you want that to advance your career. It's directly in opposition with like actually anything that would make you feel ultimately better and like grow and shit like that. Man, okay, so you're totally right, Jake. You're 100% right, but I literally, before you said that, wrote in my notebook book defend old material (laughs) yeah i have a thing about this because here's the thing okay jake okay so jake is such a i i don't say pure but like you know i think has good ethics in his artists (laughs) yeah and in his art i don't know about anything else i'm speaking in this context (laughs) how i'm like you can never defend men (laughs) you have to be very clear we got too many shit comments this episode very good thank you (laughs) (laughs) we're trying to get at least one oh good okay great like okay so i think comics who do have the more pure not to be a dick approach of like it's not about capitalism it's about being a better craftsman craftsperson and my thing i love that attitude i 100 percent believe in that attitude but i'll tell you something the people who turn on the room are usually that kind of comic because they can be the kind of comics who believe so much that the room is there to serve the creation of their art that their only concern is what they get out of like doing new material trying something new did I feel like I took a risk did I get the rush and I agree that like some comics are doing old material for cowardly reasons like for example when people did like 50 first jokes and did old jokes that's fucking dumb dude what are you doing like yeah, yeah what are you doing what are you doing though yeah it's one show one joke just fucking bomb like everyone else and play along like what are you doing they're, they're fucking greedy little scabs. I know they exactly so I know pass up a fucking opportunity exactly. to fuck over other comics and get so, out of them totally so that's why I know that you're correct that those people exist but i would say to you that like um i don't know the sports term well enough but i guess like pinch hitter or something like that like okay so like some of the pinch hitter no pinch hitter um it's when you sub someone in it's when you sub someone in uh for someone else like on your lineup okay yeah okay so i don't know if that was exactly what i was going for (laughs) yeah i know i love this i i also love to bring up sports analogies even though i don't understand sports it's really (laughs) stupid but anyway um they there's like a whole kind of comic that is like neither super famous nor like green you know what i mean they do well in almost every room those kind of comics are usually the kind of comics that 
want to work on their crafts. So they work on new jokes. They have new material almost every time you see them. But they also understand that it's their job to put on a good show. So they pace their set in a way where you have to like start strong, win them over, then try your new shit. Then like if you're losing them, if you try something old that you know always wins people back, that affords you another opportunity to try something new. And they end up kill like killing even if some jokes didn't hit because they were new Mm -hmm. it's not the same as i'm just gonna go up there and do 10 new jokes and fuck this room (laughs) you know like well i'm speaking more towards open mics obviously yeah no at an open mic you can do that i'm definitely i'm going to be updating some jokes to do exactly the format you're talking about because i don't want like i said i don't want to tank the two the two shows that are like we really want to have you on and i'm like i'm not gonna fucking do that yeah i'll go to a like i'll eventually go to a stupid open mic and just like you know, wing it or whatever. But like, yeah. I would not do that to a showcase. I just want to be very clear for any bookers uh, out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, called the, it's called the sandwich. I want to play. I'm like, I want to, I want to have, I, I, I can't wait to have a sandbox again. It feels yeah. really nice to like be able to like anticipate that. You know? Well, Rara, to your point about like, I know that I'm going to always do this. That's the night that I had last night. Like I <laughs> yeah. literally, it's so funny yeah. because, you know, like I see how comics look when they bomb you know and i've had bad shows and that's how you feel like you just want to go home and this sucks and why am i even doing this (laughs) but like when they go well it makes you feel so good like it's It's just life affirming that's yeah and like you're connecting with these people and so i had a show last night that was like my first indoor show in over a year and i picked a lineup of people that like i very purposely try not to book within clicks you know like Mm -hmm. i want to force comics to see people outside of their bubble and audiences to see people outside of those little network bubbles that they usually go to see and um what really like flattered me the most like yeah you know like the audience loved it it was great oh there are two things that like made my heart swell one was jake uh rojo the host did the whole thing you know at the beginning where he's like how'd you guys hear about the show (laughs) and there was like (laughs) one person who heard because of one comics twitter and then like another person they was like oh i saw uh something on instagram or something like that and then like one person was like i heard it on why you mad and then like half of the room half the room was like yeah me too it's, oh my god this oh, is yeah. oh yay. i can't believe it because those are people who like literally you just trust me and you're gonna you love us so you came to support like that's beautiful i love it that's Made, so awesome. like i immediately was like double whiskey right now i gotta get drunk. this is amazing, <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> that's amazing. That's and yeah and the second thing was that all the comics watched the whole show all right and that to me right you guys get it right like most comics especially before the pandemic and in new york they're just like i show up for my spot and i'm out Mm because i got another thing to do and i don't really Mm -hmm. watch other comics and i don't watch comedy or whatever i fucking Mm -hmm. hate that shit i hate that shit dude and here's the thing like even like the quote headliners even if they asked to come late they showed up early and they watched mm-hmm. everybody that went up before them. Yeah. The people that went up early oh, stayed and watched everyone after they like posted about each other. And then um, Chris Gethard was the last person to go up. Oh, oh hell yeah. I've been yeah. on shows with him. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he went up and he did this bit that was like really funny that I can't do justice to, but I'm only bringing it up because it's flattering to me that he noticed my lineup <laughs> because he like went up and he was like, uh, also we're in the former UCB 
it's Chelsea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's a place where he basically came up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he like went in there and he was just like, this is crazy. This is such an amazing show that I just got to watch. And I got to see so many comics I hadn't seen in a long time or ever. And then he goes, and I mean, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm kind of like famous in this building. (laughs) (laughs) But usually I'm like the 10th guy in a lineup of 10 white guys. And yeah, sure, I was the best white guy, but this was a whole different experience. I've never (laughs) been the only white guy on the lineup. (laughs) And so then he like did this whole funny thing about like how comics of all kinds and backgrounds were working on material and coming back with all these things that impressed him. It was really amazing. That's incredible. That is so cool. Oh my God. Well done. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited for you. It's very exciting. What about you, Jake? You have you been on stage like you know recently? Um, no, I did one show last year, like just to. You, you know, did the backyard show a few months ago. Was that last year? I think it was last year. No, man, that was like three months ago or something. It's oh shit! Wait, it's fucking May. Um, yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> did I do a backyard show? Uh, well, yeah. the point point being. I swear to God, I think that was in like December or something. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's been a, it's been a minute. <laughs> time doesn't is, mean anything anymore. Yeah. The point, point is, I have done Post one time world. set in like a year. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I did a bunch of Zoom shows and I kind of went back and forth with how I felt about them. Like at first, I was like, uh, you know, it's nice that people are doing this, but like it just it calls into question. The, the all these absurd things that we usually ignore about comedy which is that we yeah. when you have a show that's small mm-hmm. enough you literally are just hanging out with each other like there's it's like a, a farce you know that yeah. we're like putting on a show it's funny but also you know honestly <laughs> a i started to appreciate them because uh i started to, to really get annoyed with people that were going out and doing uh, stand-up during the pandemic so like good for you if you put together a, a support group for these fucking addicts to go <laughs> tell their Seriously. Jokes online and then <laughs> of people telling people like um i don't think you need to be making money with comedy right now and yeah. i pissed off a lot of comics that are trying to be famous and i was like get a real job like everybody else asshole like sorry that this is not your real job but like i'm a stripper i want to like trust me i get it like (laughs) they're all lying they're all like no i pay my bills doing this and i'm like i've done this for 15 years i know that's not true it's not true like listen uh mindy agrees with you guys mindy tucker who's like probably the best new york comedy photographer yeah (laughs) she is doing my show and she was yeah and you know what's so funny she she brought it up out of nowhere she's like i so i've been listening to why you man and she's like yeah she's like you guys are the only ones like i was so mad and then you're finally saying what i was thinking which is like you don't need to be doing stand-up right now <laughs> like, like especially you're not even getting paid to do these train shows and she just like word for word repeats all her complaints yeah. <laughs> like, yeah there's a bunch of us who think you're really stupid for thinking that the most important thing in the world is that you have to do your joke you know yeah. even those yeah. of us who love jokes and comics yeah. more than anything yeah. yeah mindy's cool i've talked to her yeah. at shows about stuff like this and she seems yeah. like she's on our side and uh yeah and- she's a little southern socialist 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I people were it. turning it into like a. Well, I just love comedy more than like a, like basically making it this like badge of honor. If like you loved it. You I would love be able it to stop so for much. Six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just very like weirdly performative to like performative to do this thing that everyone thought you were stupid for. It was just yeah. like this like yeah man I'm I am a comedian I've done it through all the pandemic. It's like good Dude, for you. I, I don't know like. One of the like really egregious fucking uh, compound psychos up here literally referred to it as him risking his own life to do comedy. Oh my god! What the <laughs> yeah. fuck? It was so what is bad. wrong with you, asshole? Well, you guys, god, we had we had a, a club owner here who did um for like a minute in New York. Well, clubs and whatever comedy was banned, but then there was like a permission for like churches were allowed to congregate sure so the club owner had a stand-up show in a church and he like posted about it like he's a hero because he found a loophole all these people need to go to re-education camps under (laughs) (laughs) takeover this is ridiculous Mm -hmm. everybody has to go and like do hard labor that went to these fucking shows he literally put out a statement where he was like uh laughter is religion to some of us what the wow. fuck is wrong with you you psycho that dude so far up his own ass like, yeah he's the jared yeah. leto of comedy yeah. mm-hmm. so that's like probably a good reason that i'm not getting like hit up for spots that much right now is because these, <laughs> yeah, these are the people like this, right that, <laughs> no fuck i'll say this shit all day i just mean that these yeah. are the people that uh so took advantage of the vacuum of power and decided mm-hmm. well we're gonna like you know yeah. run clubs and then also uh book who's working right now and stuff like yeah. that and take control of that so like i have actually a show in a week um, Oh, nice yeah nice. so i'm gonna start doing live shows again and but, but mm-hmm. because of the way i was already operating which is that i never really really cracked into the clubs here and i never really wanted to because i just saw that there was like their alt terrain pretty much there's no point yeah the alt yeah. world has more for you yeah and like mm-hmm. what i was doing before the pandemic even was basically when i lived in new york while i was in new york i'd work out my material by doing shows and then i would take it on the road and go make money doing like live shows mm-hmm. with yeah. like podcast listeners and shit like that as the audience and uh since the people that like i think would come out to see me are also not the psychos that have been out all year like right we're right all yeah. slowly figuring out when we can start going and doing shows yeah and shit. yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I think later this year I'll, I'll probably start booking like tour stuff again if it's possible, nice. you know. But it just depends if if some state isn't still on fire with COVID and stuff like that. I might go, you know. Yeah. That's the way it has to work. I've had a couple of comics that I've booked for the show who have not yet done live comedy since mm-hmm. a year ago, mm-hmm. and they have straight up just said to me like, "Yes, I want your show to be the first one <laughs> because Aww, I like I trust awesome. because they trust that I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think it was like the safest possible." Yeah. And, right. Like, right. I'm limiting it and yeah I mean it's the only thing that you can do I think but um I'm excited we're only doing it twice a month and I kind Mm -hmm. of love that for me personally Mm -hmm. but if it goes well we would increase it to weekly so maybe Jake would be on sooner but he's scheduled to be on this summer and more more interesting of me to pressure you Yessi and Rara to come with and watch is eventually we will do a live stream also of the show so we're gonna like Hell yeah. We love to come watch. watch. Yeah. Yeah. So I am loving it. So I had exactly like when when you said, Rara, that like you're like, I'm always going to do this. Like, who am I lying to? (laughs) Like, that's I fully last night was like, 
yeah, no, I'm going to be like 70 <laughs> and be like yeah. giving people the light with my iPhone 22. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing this forever. I think like I, I it's, it's ridiculous as I haven't been doing it forever. Like I, I haven't done it for a year, but I'm still yeah. I'm very confident that it's like, whatever happens, it's like, I'm just going to try to like enjoy it again and like try to divorce it from any kind of capitalistic expectation and just make stuff that I want to make. So yeah. like, that's like the philosophy I'm coming from, uh, the perspective I'm coming from. But yeah, I thank you all that. so much for talking with us. This has been so fun. Yeah, thank um, you so much. I want to know, Yessie, how did you end up in this if you're not a performer? Because, so Jake roped me into being this mic person. So how did you, did Rara convince you to do this podcast? No, well, it was just like, I, okay, so I'm not a performer, but I am like terminally online, like, it, like just Same. really uh -huh. diseased yeah. and online. Mm -hmm. And, and Rara was like, man, I like Rara tweeted just like, Hey, like, I'd like to have a co-host and I was just like slid immediately. It. I was like, give me a try. Like, let's, yeah. let's see. Let's I see. have like yeah. a Google form for people that were interested because I was like doing this insane thing last year where I was like trying to do like a three hour block of programming every week and then divvying that up into YouTube clips and a podcast. Mm. And I like killed myself so doing that. And I was That's like, that was so nice. much work. What was I thinking? So I was like, I scaled it all back and then I was doing the podcast by myself and I was like, I can't do this by myself. I don't work well. I, I don't work well as an interviewer by myself. I I, I need a collaboration here. <laughs> and Yessie was one of my mutuals. And I was mm. really looking for someone with a really similar sense of humor and also similar set of, you know, politics because I wanted to keep it as like anti-capitalist as possible yeah. and as like Marxist as possible. So Yessie and I had like a talk and then they were my co-host and we had like really great fun ever since i think i don't know yeah i love awesome. it i love working with you rara i love you <laughs> i love that i will be honest with you i think all of my favorite podcasts are people that are not performers um or a combination <laughs> of a performer and a not performer it's because good. Yeah. yeah because it's, it's balanced, different yeah you know? it's balanced and there's like a person who knows how to like find the funny and direct the conversation but then there's a more real regular person being like <laughs> And this is just what regular people yeah. say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sucks when you like when you're listening to a comedian's podcast and you can tell that they are trying to force it because they just yeah. know that they are supposed to have a podcast. So they yeah. pick the thing that they just pull out of a hat and they're just mm -hmm. or they're like just clearly trying to do what another show does or something yeah. like that. Like right. I've been a podcast head since before they kind of really became as big of a thing as they are and like Definitely. me too what? i was a mark maron fan when his show first came out and me that's too. what made me interested in doing comedy is i can beat mark i can beat podcast. that because i'm older than all of you <laughs> <laughs> which is i listen to keith and the girl which still is going on but keith and the girl is the longest still running podcast in existence in America, at least maybe in the what? world. Yeah. They've been what? doing it for 16 years straight and they wow. do. Yeah. And they do, um, they used to do five shows a week. I believe now they only do four shows a week and they had Mark Marin on back like 12 years ago or some shit. And shit. he was like, this Wild. is a very, like, if you listen to the episode, which is behind a paywall now for Keith and the girl, but if you listen to the episode, he's literally there just like, oh, so this is interesting. You guys, do you just do a show from your apartment? That's interesting. How do you like, and people, Holy just, shit. 
<laughs> and, and oh my god it's yeah. like seeing like the rosetta stone it's of, like, amazing and so then yeah and so podcasting. they like explained to him yeah we've been doing it for this many years and this is how many people listen and they get it on the internet yes Margaret, you know like they like explained it and you then can they, see the little light bulb yeah and then <laughs> they were the ones that told him like what equipment to buy like he after being wow. on their show was like i'm gonna do this and it was the like rebirth of his career was after he got the idea from keith and the girl it's okay, so well, weird that we're I talking a... about this because i just yeah. rewatched almost famous yesterday yeah. and i'm very hormonal because of my period so i cried like a baby the, throughout the, the whole that's why i yelled at billy yeah, so... everybody should know <laughs> <laughs> so i was like oh my god it's fucking mark maron of course yeah of course. i have a mark maron story that predates that okay uh, oh god <laughs> i saw maron when he was at the lowest low of his career and he played <laughs> the front room of cap city in austin oh no the front room you know when you can't fill the yeah. big room so you have to play the lobby <laughs> Damn. Oh my God! What? This what? was like right when I was first. Damn. I don't even know if I'd started comedy yet. I think I was just watching because I might have was thinking about it or something. Wait, so and it's like a club when there's like DJs on like opposite sides of the club, like in different no, rooms. No, there's a big like <laughs> kind big, of foyer, yeah. like a. There's a yeah. big showroom <laughs> that you play normally if you're a big comic, and, and then there's like tables. a little side room where they do a second show that holds less people, so the smaller act goes there. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like that's where the open mic is on Sundays because yeah. it's just a hangout or whatever. It's not the big room, but like if you don't sell it, it's like a it's it's just very defeating. If you don't sell enough tickets, they're like you're in the small room tonight. <laughs> 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 oh, just like experience and like and remember death, just exactly. Like and remember that Mark Marion at this point is like already twenty years into his career and yeah, yeah. Oh, in the front God. room, yeah. right? And he had like kind of high highs and low lows and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like he almost broke a couple times. So anyway, but yeah. I. I was yeah. a comedy fan already from growing up and stuff so i like knew mm-hmm. him and i was like oh yeah that's cool cynical you know you know we mm-hmm. all remember marin when he was yeah. big and stuff he was great so, yeah. i mean well, I, went, <laughs> I went and watched him and he was doing this bit because ipods were like new and he was doing this bit where he was like everyone's turning into pod zombies man <laughs> everyone's just listening to their little ipods all day and i think about it all the time because like six months after that he became like the like, a pod he's, guy he's like, oh pod my guy. god i love it i love and, like, it he's Incredible. such a hypocrite because he was yeah. like you're all losers you listen to your headphones and then it's like the thing that made his career yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i found him very fascinating when i first started listening to his podcast i don't know yesy are you completely lost right now i, I no, i got to okay <laughs> great because i was like if, if you're not into if you don't haven't heard of mark Marin, you're like he's what just the an old comic no, no, I, yeah, no, I yeah got but um it's so funny because what got me into that podcast was not like the guests at first it was just like he was so raw and just so bitter and so just like angry <laughs> and i was like i think i was maybe like 19 when i first heard totally him. and i was just like fuck yeah man i'm fucking angry too man and it's like Amazing. i'm a 19 year old young woman and this is like a middle aged man and i always feel like i've had the wrath of a middle-aged yeah, man totally. my whole life so um early marin was like that it was really great and also do you guys know the the backstory to the dollop you know the dollop is I don't uh, actually yeah yeah the dollop yeah. is great yeah yes yeah i figured you might like it. it's like a history like a fun mm-hmm. podcast it's yeah um, i love the dave dollop. anthony and uh what's 
because I was like Gary Gareth Reynolds and before it was that what it was was um Dave Anthony had a podcast with Greg Barron do you guys know who Greg Barron uh-huh, is yeah. do you remember him okay so Greg Barron and him had a podcast called head. Walking the Room that was specifically about like being in the twilight of your career like you had a very high high but then nothing is happening and you plateaued but now it's been so many years that you're like all the industry forgot me and nobody knows who I am (laughs) and I'm just dying in obscurity and they literally recorded it in Greg's walk-in closet right because they didn't have like a studio or like anything and then it was an amazing wonderful podcast and then like a year and a half into it Greg uh relapsed on his na situation by taking the narcotics that were prescribed to his old dog <gasps> dude it was a ama- it was like an amazing fucking arc in this in this podcast wow. because they like they stopped putting out episodes and then one day they just put out a new episode and it's dave anthony speaking and he just goes okay greg tell people what you did <laughs> <laughs> and then greg is like yeah, okay, like, the reason that we haven't had episodes for the last few weeks is because I had to go to rehab. <laughs> and the reason that I had to go to rehab oh my God. is because, I, like, my dog has hip problems, and then I realized that, like, it's, like, some kind of drug I enjoy, so I took my dog's pills. <laughs> and so then, like, it's just this, like, shaming of Greg, and then Greg saying, like, well, so, like, I have to go to outpatient shit, so we're not going to do the podcast for a minute. So then the podcast just stops, and then... Dave Anthony just like converted everything to the dollop and added Gareth and turned it into the dollop. But it was all, it all came from the success of walking the room. That's amazing. I did not know that. That's cool. Yeah. Podcast. Well, we're now in the world where um, podcasts have history. It turns out. (laughs) God, this is going to be so weird to read about. Like, like how how we read about like journalists in the sixties and like weird, like uh, communist publications in the sixties. Like that's how people are going to be like thinking about podcasts. Now it's like, what the fuck was going on in this world? Like, absolutely. But thank you so much, Luisa and Jake, for coming yeah. on Hot Girl Agenda. Um, do you have stuff Love to it. plug? Plug your stuff. Yeah, we should plug. Yeah, I just have casual sets, the show that we were just talking about. It's every mm-hmm. um, second and fourth Thursday of the month in New York City. Casual sets at NYC, so you can see the lineups. And then I'm hoping that by June, the June shows will have live streams so people everywhere can listen to it. And I will, I will plug Why You Man, which is my podcast with Jake. As we mentioned, I guess it's like about art stuff and comedy and ethics and capitalism as an artist that kind of stuff and that's at why you mad pod yeah and then my, my other show is pod damn america it's uh you know me and other comedians talking about leftist shit and history and bullshit like that follow me on everything at feral jokes feral like an animal jokes like jokes it's an anagram for my name that's how i promote stuff so if i ever go back on tour and you're listening to this from some crazy place i'll put my tour dates up on that and you know that's how i operate that's it though cool all right thank you so much thank you both for having us (laughs) i if you either of you or both of you have anything that you're mad about (laughs) please let us know so that you can come on and be mad and have a conversation with us about art i would love to do that sometime yeah 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 because i'm a hot girl i do hot shit because i'm a hot girl